Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Rebecca Adelman, a writer and producer whose work you may have encountered on China, Illinois, New Girl, and Love. She came to TIFF in 2016 with her short film The Smoke, starring Lisa Repo Martel, and her first feature, Paper Year, starring Eve Hewson and Avin Jagia as Los Angeles newlyweds, is now playing theatrically in Toronto, Ottawa, and Vancouver, and available across Canada for rental and purchase on iTunes and Google Play. It's a really good little movie, and you should check it out. Rebecca picked The Graduate, Mike Nichols' barbed 1967 satire following Benjamin Braddock, a young man of means fresh out of college, as he falls into an affair in Pasadena with the older Mrs. Robinson, the wife of his father's law partner. But he's also being set up with Mrs. Robinson's daughter Elaine, which complicates things. Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, and Catherine Ross are ideal avatars for the American archetypes dissected in Charles Webb's novel, adapted and sharpened by Calder Willingham and Buck Henry, and Nichols sets the whole thing to a Simon and Garfunkel song score that seems to be mocking Ben's descent, even as it cheers him on. Half a century later, there's still nothing else like it. This is someone else's movie. Well, maybe because it's one of the most perfect movies ever made. It's a good reason. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I was rewatching it again before coming to talk to you. I was like, I think it's just pretty much perfect. Like I, I can't. I, I have almost no quibbles with anything that I'm seeing, but mainly I picked it because um, that the famous ending of The Graduate, right. you know, where he breaks up the wedding and they run away and they get on the bus and then their looks, that feeling of like sitting in their the decision that they made. Yeah, I. I liked to think that that was the, the the spiritual jumping off point for my movie. Yeah, that well, they mean, make this big decision, they get married, and now they have to live with the consequence of that decision. Yeah, I mean, certainly when you suggested it, yeah, it connected in my mind to Paper yeah. Year. The um, the other thing too is that there there are two kinds of comedy these days. It seems like there's yes and and there's now what. Okay. Like when okay. One is about crisis and one is about opportunity. It's, okay. it's, as reductive yeah. as that sounds, and the graduate is all about the series of decisions that get you to the point where you don't know what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. paper year, yeah, it starts from exactly that. This is people who are maybe not fully um, briefed on the thing that they're about to embark on, which is the rest of their lives. Yeah, and. And it, it's both movies are about young people in this sort of time of transition. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think he's twenty one. He turns twenty one in the movie. Yeah. The characters in my movie are twenty two, and yeah, they're kind of maybe impulsively, maybe to feed some kind of need to figure out who they are. They make these decisions. Yeah, and um, they don't. In neither movie do they end up going exactly as planned. Yeah, no. fifty years apart. Yeah. You know, like we haven't really come any further as as a species. No, we're still <laughs> no, no, still and idiots. I don't think we will in fifty more years either. Yeah, you know. I, well, what, actually, I should yeah. stop and roll back. What was the first time? What was your first experience with the Graduate? When did you see it? Like at I, what point in your yeah? I, I definitely saw it in high school. I think I was fifteen or sixteen, and I. I I remember liking it, but feeling like I'd missed something or something didn't connect 
And then when I saw it again when I was in my 20s, and I had a better understanding of Mike Nichols and of his comedy, sure. and I had become a Nichols and May fan, and it, I think when I first watched it, I, 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 the comedy was above me, actually. I think it was just a little too sophisticated. And every time I watch it, it gets funnier and funnier. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> you know? and roughly the same experience. That to like belittle my own comedy brain as a teenager, but he really has this incredibly precise but it but the scenes are are really um long Mm -hmm. you know he's letting it just live but every movement every blocking move is planned out with the precision precision of a theater director yeah yeah you're right i mean it is it, it, it for me it's the feeling of being trapped in the space with benjamin yeah that he is suffering just by existing in this world. The, yeah. we, we don't know what kind of life he had before. No. We only meet him when he comes home. Yeah. And he's so clearly uncomfortable and squirming and desperate to make it stop that all the all of his choices are self-destructive. Yeah. But in a, a weird, neurotic, logical sense, everything he does makes sense because it's the wrong choice, right? Like yeah, it, yeah, and we can relate. Yeah. Uh, like, of course I would feel so uncomfortable trying to check into the hotel where I'm going to have sex with my dad's partner's wife. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a woman I knew since I was two two years old. Whatever, I'm adding backstory that I've invented. But It feels like it's right. It, yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, he, he, he kind of breaks the movie down into the... I, I guess now I watch it as a... From a filmmaker's point of view. Sure. Yeah. So I think before I was watching it with... Uh, just like a 20-year-old to a 20-year-old and what's that feeling, what's that malaise and then I remember watching it as a writer you know, and just thinking Buck Henry was a genius and you know, the the writing and the dexterity of the comedy is so impressive and then watching it again this week I kept trying to assess the shots you know, and how Mike Nichols pieced it together and he basically does these, the movie starts with these big two big like 20 minute sort of plays you know when Benjamin's dropping Mrs. Robinson off at her house and it's this long long sequence mm-hmm. where he's being cornered she's foisting herself on him he's trying to say no he's squirming like you're saying he's desperately trying to get out of it and it goes on and on and on it's so uncomfortable and it's so funny and it's so weird and then he does something similar, Mike Nichols, when they're checking into the hotel, about to have sex for the first time. Yeah, just dragging it. Dragging it. And... Every little uncomfortable interaction with the hotel clerk, with you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there really wasn't... It, now it's cringe comedy. Now we completely understand yeah. it. Instinctively, we know what that scene is going to be. Yeah. Also, probably because it's The Graduate, and we've all right. internalized right. it on some level. Right. But... I'm trying to put myself in in mind of a 1967 audience. There's nothing like that. There, yeah. there really hadn't been, or 68, I guess it was. Um, and there, there's just no, there's no precedent for it. Uh, yeah. And and that's the thing that I keep coming back to when people talk about the new American cinema. They don't really ever mention The Graduate, but it's one of the first ones. Um, yeah. In From his, that era. Yeah, yeah. One of the first films that really broke the moment. And it's not, it's a studio film that isn't a studio film because it was produced independently yeah. but distributed yeah. by United Artists. And it's got that sort of sense that it's it's a Trojan horse for yeah. the morality and for the, the, 
critique of consumerism, all this, all the ideas flying around in it are the ones that aren't on the poster. It's so you, know, true. you sell it as a comedy, a coming of age story, uh, a neurotic comedy thing. Right. So like with a sexual bent, you know. Oh, of course. But, yeah, that's true. The whole, the, like the leg the and the poster, all of that was about the, yeah, how sexy yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, But then you actually have to see it and yeah. live in it and spend time in it. And these are miserable, unhappy people being miserable and unhappy for our entertainment. Yeah. And that really, that wasn't a thing. I mean, sex comedies at the time were, you know, the carry-on movies. Yeah. They weren't sophisticated. They weren't about, you know, the plastics line, which supposedly killed every single time. Now it's just like, yeah, of course, that, that makes sense. <laughs> to the point where I think just a couple of weeks ago there was a there's a line, there's a movie that somebody says, is it paper year? Am I actually giving this oh, to your movie? Oh, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. No, when you, you... you would have already been ahead of me. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, I saw a film where someone throws it back and says, you're seriously telling me to invest in plastics. Oh, no, not my movie. Yeah, I didn't no, think no, no. so. Maybe at the wedding scene. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, someone has quoted it to that point where the joke is that the audience knows right. that telling someone to invest in plastics is a movie reference as well as weird advice. Yeah, I mean, we have internalized that movie. The Graduate has just become part of the fabric of what it means to be, I don't know, a North American human. <laughs> yes. But but what you're talking about is so true. He did something new. The reason we're still talking about it now, it seems like, oh, yeah, it's just part of this genre, and we are all familiar with this genre, but he, I guess he invented it. I think Mike so. Nichols. Yeah. You know, like, that's that's the beginning of it. And maybe, maybe it's not spoken about alongside all those other movies from the 60s and 70s because it is a comedy. And I find sometimes mm. comedy gets a bit sh- of the short shrift. Yeah. You know? Well, it's it's this, certainly it's dismissed in award season and things like that because yeah. it's clearly not as difficult as making someone cry on cue. I don't know. Comedy's mm-hmm. pretty complicated. Yeah. But then The Graduate, I think, won a bunch of awards, right? It did Best Director. Best Director. Um, but not Best Picture. Which, whatever. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah. The Oscars get it wrong all the time. Totally. But it's it's weird to watch it now, and or it was even weird to watch it, I think the first time I saw it, I was probably just out of high school, maybe. Mm-hmm. It would have been on VHS, it was pen and scan, it was no way to experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then I saw it, my, I saw it in a theater myself okay. when it came back out. Yeah, but I, I, I remember thinking that this is a film that is really small for the, for yeah. the amount of conversation around it for the for the for the acclaim it received Mm -hmm. and then the second time through it's like oh no wait Mm -hmm. it's small but it's focused and then Mm -hmm. the third time Mm -hmm. a few years after that was when i started to understand that i could see it from anybody's perspective that it wasn't just benjamin's story right and somebody else i mean you you know you hear about how it was originally um robert redford wanted to do it Mm -hmm. with robert redford and casting Dustin Hoffman who was too old for the role and like too obviously mm-hmm. not a wasp mm-hmm. but it's the way Benjamin sees himself mm-hmm. and that's why it works and it's ingenious I wish I could remember who first said that I heard that Mike Nichols actually didn't want Robert Redford that someone else involved okay. wanted Robert Redford I don't know if this is you, true you or not right. and that Mike Nichols himself said we can't cast Robert Redford that man has no idea what it means to get rejected by a woman <laughs> Yeah, that actually explains a lot for the role, too. <laughs> you know, and that this idea, like you're talking about, of, of basically like self-hatred and of feeling out of place in the world and like you don't belong is not something that a guy who looks like Robert Redford embodies. Maybe no. Robert Redford has experienced that. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, he's a human being. I would assume. I'm sure he's felt some amount of that. We all have. But he doesn't 
he doesn't signify that to us when we look at him. Yeah. We think that's the guy who gets invited to the country club. Yeah. And it is, I mean, ultimately it is a film about white privilege that doesn't know it is yet. Yeah. Right. Because everyone in the movie is operating at the same level of privilege. So it's just there. I mean, it's, or it's not there. It's simply the world they all move in. But it feels like high satire. Yeah. You know, like watching it where like they're, the reference to Tarzana and the houses they're in and the the animal prints she's wearing and the sort of lucite lamps and yeah. in the tiki room in the fancy hotel that where they go to have their tryst. I mean, everything about it, it's like he's just nailing this one kind of wealthy white person. Yeah. It's vulgar without ever... Being without the characters ever understanding how vulgar it is, I suppose. Yeah. Bancroft is allowed. Like Mrs. Robinson gets yeah. ugly. Yes. Emotionally and physically, too. She's, yeah. she's sort of dressed down a bunch of times in the film. Which, again, she was, what, six years older than? I know, I mean, yeah. It's so strange, but it works because all you have to do is style her hair a certain way and dress her a certain way yeah. and you buy it. And, yeah. of course, she's brilliant. Yeah. So she can sell it. But it's constantly, yeah, it's constantly dis not disorienting us but dislocating us like we are always reeling the same way benjamin is and Mm -hmm. it's you know the choices of lenses and just the way they shoot certain scenes the nightclub stuff for example is is all so assaultive yeah that i'm always on his side even as i understand how awfully he's acting to people i mean he really he's being an absolute shit to people he is yeah but then he's kind of not being treated well either you Mm -hmm. know like you don't like his parents you know (laughs) like they feel like they're just turning him into a fool you know like parading him around and trotting him out and and you so you you sort of feel for him you know i remember watching it not long ago and feeling like i think it's in i guess it's in that third act or towards the end of the movie you start to feel like oh benjamin's actually a little crazy like what Mm -hmm. he's doing oh yeah is not romantic where he's like chasing Catherine Ross and stalking her essentially yeah. and watching her get on the bus and it, they've been on one date. Yeah. No, the love story is the thing that I've never it's not that I don't believe it. I believe that it's happening because the characters are all behaving in ways that make sense emotionally yeah, for yeah. Each, for themselves if not each other. But I I've never fully understood why she's willing to let him pull her away unless of course the whole point is that she's just as broken and, and confused as he is and we just never see it because she's always hiding it I think so and I think that character was maybe a little underdeveloped and maybe yeah. she wasn't as strong of an actor as Dustin Hoffman and Anne Bancroft so you're kind of not that, that that's stiff competition to be up against it's like a reverse but, Baxter right like she has to be there to be grabbed instead of abandoned yeah but we also can't get that close to her because the real focus of this story is on Benjamin and Mrs. Robinson and I think she's a symbol like actually to Benjamin I don't think he views her as a real person so I I actually don't even look at that movie as a romance anymore I don't think it's real love I don't (laughs) I don't think she feels real love for him I don't think Benjamin feels real love for her I think she represents he he's embodied her with a lot of hope and a lot of things that he wants her to be and I guess she decides to be okay with that, at least temporarily. Yeah. At least if it saves her exactly. from having to it live a life that thing. she was being, you know, somewhat forced into. 
this waspy perfection thing that her parents wanted for her. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ultimately it's unattainable for either of them. I yes. don't think either of them is going to be happy together. They might not be happy for long, but they might also be able to work something out that, yeah. that helps them. It's and again, I come back to paper year, and I don't want to spoil the film for people yeah. who haven't seen it yet. But the idea of the the thing that you will someday look back on as something that was really important, but while you're in it, all you can see is the chaos. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The forest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or the trees. You can't see the forest. The forest is... Yeah, the forest is where you figure out you are, I guess. Yeah. Which is... Yeah, you can't... Contorted. don't have the bigger picture on it. Yeah, I, talking about it now, I'm, I'm thinking at the end of The Graduate, I don't think Mike Nichols... Who knows what Mike... I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to assume I know what Mike Nichols thinks, but... <laughs> I, I don't think he wants us... I don't think we should want those two to um like benjamin and elaine to be to go get married to run out of that wedding and then run off and get married and therefore be quote-unquote happily ever ever after right no i think i don't think that's i don't think that's an option for them no and i think the happily ever after is is a fiction that actually that movie is sort of subtly pointing out to us Mm -hmm. that that it's going to break down at some point so let's have Let's be more progressive. Let's be more incendiary. Let's not kind of go with the status quo. Like I think about Mike Nichols as kind of like a Hungarian Jewish. I think he was Hungarian, like yeah, immigrant. I believe so. You well, know? Yeah, he escaped the Nazis. Escaped the Holocaust. Came to America, couldn't speak English. The story is absolutely fascinating that he became a satirist of that specificity, that he developed the language. I mean, Billy Wilder, I guess, did the same thing, really. Oh, did he? Yeah, Just in sense. terms of the origins yeah. and... and but and he gave them this out. They were so in, you know, like Mike Nichols was so in in that New York scene, but he was always an outsider. Mm-hmm. It gives him that perspective. Yeah. It's, yeah. And then to move to Los Angeles and fix that perspective on the society that was ostensibly going to pay him very well for the rest of yeah. his life. I mean, he really is making a movie about producers. Yeah. Uh, and how single-minded is the wrong term but just monomaniacal mm-hmm. every single person has a complete plan for everybody else around them mm-hmm. uh, mrs robinson knows exactly what she's going to do with benjamin which is why it triggers her so badly when he stops first mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, elaine has a path that she's not going to follow i guess she's she's probably... a little bit more of the mystery yeah but she's a bit foggy she is and yeah and I, yeah i mean as you say it's probably necessary that she's underdeveloped yeah it's also I don't know. I guess it's probably the way movies saw women in the 60s as well. The other film example I keep thinking of is The Heartbreak Kid, is, is Elaine May's film. Oh, yeah, which I haven't seen. It's <laughs> oh, No, it's really yeah. hard to find. Yeah, um, and I've been just... trying to find her movie, A New Leaf. Have you oh, ever seen yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. find it anywhere. Oh, it's available you on Blu-ray. It's oh. just come out. Yeah, it's go. great. It's, it's great. And so is The Heartbreak Kid. The Heartbreak yeah. Kid also has a character who is... Um, sidelined immediately basically Jeannie Berlin's character is uh-huh. the awful wife of Charles Grodin who is developed only as a comic engine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the reverse of Catherine Ross but she is attained immediately he marries her right away mm-hmm. and immediately comes to regret it is attracted to Sybil Shepherd, who he meets on their honeymoon ah okay yeah, yeah yeah it's just the it is basically May's answer film to The Graduate without ever coming right out and acknowledging it but Grodin's character is middle-class New York Jew mm-hmm. and uh, and so is Berlin where she's from a better family I think it's implied than he mm-hmm. is and then it's just the reverse temptation and mm-hmm. I've always wondered 
what May and Nichols would talk about after that came out, or during even, because he must have been aware of it. Sure, yeah. It's just, it's so elegantly disembowels the graduate because it's not about surfaces it's all about the ugliness of it yeah and, right. and status there's this whole sequence well you'll you'll see it eventually see, have to watch it but yeah. it's all about the things that the graduate refuses to discuss because the characters are too privileged right and it's this really right. fascinating collision of I gotta see it yeah you do because yeah the graduate danced this line of of I suppose satirizing that group of people but still embracing them well it likes you them. know yeah, it, it likes, likes the them. lifestyle it likes yeah Although it's, it's not pulsed by it at the same it's time. not really yeah 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 but I think if you live that lifestyle and you watch that movie you can like that movie sure you aren't gonna feel repelled by it yeah I mean morally it gives you the out it, yeah it breaks up the adulterous relationship and the and the weird age difference and our hero is rewarded for making that choice by winning. Mm-hmm. the nice young lady mm-hmm. and they go off happily ever after I mean if you but, really but, insist yeah. on seeing it that way yeah, yeah. you can yeah which ugh. yeah it's really yeah, I know I no <laughs> <laughs> creepy you know here's a a fun fact I heard about The Graduate please not fact checked I haven't even punched it into the internet okay so <laughs> please I want someone to do that but um a very smart writer I was working with on a show recently, he told me that, so, you know, Paul Simon hired to do the soundtrack, right. and wrote all these new songs, came in to play a bunch of them for Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols heard some and said, I hate them. I hate it. This one in particular, I hate it. And Paul Simon went, oh shit, okay. And like he... This is how the story was told to me. That sure, he sure. stepped out of the room, and I guess he was with Art Garfunkel. <laughs> and he, they were like, well, let's just play him this other one that we have. They had another one written, not for the movie. And they came in and played it, and it was Mrs. Robinson. But they had originally written it as Mrs. Roosevelt. Oh, yes, I think I've heard about the and title change. And the title, and they were just like, let's just sing Robinson instead of Roosevelt. And if you slot in the word Roosevelt when you listen to that song now instead of Robinson... It, the song finally makes sense. Yeah, it does. It makes a lot more sense. I'm <laughs> you know? doing it right now. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, I can see that, and yet it's iconic in the other direction. Yeah. Because it doesn't make sense, but it. But that's what's great about it. It's in the film. Yeah. It's in the film, and it's just because of the context of the film. You're like, oh, this makes perfect sense. But <laughs> it's, um, yeah, and I I love hearing about things that moments like that in film history, any kind of art history, that are almost accidental. Yeah. Or it's because of a failure that they got to such a success. Well, it's the shark and Jaws, right? Like, yeah. If it had yeah. worked, that film would be probably still pre- pretty like good, it, but it wouldn't be memorable. No. It wouldn't be what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. So, and I also heard that Mike Nichols just kept the camera rolling um, for that final shot of the two of them on the bus. Yeah. And I guess the script had it ending in a happier place. But you need that. Yeah. You need, you need the space. It. You need the space to watch them think, mm-hmm. um, which is something that so few movies now are even willing to do just mm-hmm. to live in that moment of, of uncertainty and, and discomfort at the end of the film mm-hmm. you know we have this um, this uh, what is it the Steven Soderbergh perfect cut to black which yeah. he can do every yeah. single time yeah. but not everyone else can although they all try to emulate it where you just snap into blackness mm-hmm. and wait 90 seconds to roll your credits and it's like okay not not, right. not that they didn't quite work yeah, yeah. but the, yeah. The, the space to think with the image is is something that I find far more 
disturbing is the freeze frame at the end of the 400 blows. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, mm-hmm. the sense that, oh, no, the story isn't over. Mm-hmm. We're just leaving. These characters are going to continue. The power of, yeah, what cinema can do. So I saw a movie recently that played with that idea, and I'd never seen this before. Mm-hmm. And it was the new Claire Denis movie. Which I haven't seen. Let the sunshine. Let the sunshine in, okay. and with Juliette Binoche, and the ending. And I don't think this ruins anything. It's just more of a filmmaking choice. Is that she during the last scene, the characters are still talking. It's Juliette Binoche and Gerard Depardieu, and she just starts rolling the credits over them. Over the conversation. Yeah. Okay. So suddenly, like the the name Juliette Binoche pops up, you know, and then all the other actors get their cards that pop up. Really. And. The amazing thing is that it made the scene better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the scene was good, and it had been going on for a while. And then I think one of them has a sort of line that is sort of a line that somewhat synthesizes the, the idea of the movie, and then suddenly these names pop up, but the scene's still going on. Yeah. I, I'm, there's got to be an Altman film where it kind of happens. Someone where has done something you know, like, like that? Like a slow pullout. But it's but it's clearly right. over. It's, it's clearly telling over. you the movie has ended. But this just pops this just right starts up. up. Yeah. Wow. And that was the first signifier that oh yeah we're at the very end. Good for I her. Did. That's such a She's weird. She's still choice. doing new things. Yeah. yeah. I interviewed her when she came through here for Bastards a few years ago at oh, TIFF, cool. and it was just yeah it was marvelous. I don't know if you've seen Bastards, no. but it's incredibly brutal. It's mm. it's one of her meanest, oh, basically yeah. one of the Dark Soul of Europe kind of films. And when I heard she was making a movie. With uh, Binoche and it wasn't going to be a drama per se no it's really a comedy mm, nice yeah yeah I'll have to catch up to it's it it's very just... interesting it's like I've never quite it's interesting to see like the rom-com put through that filter mm. <laughs> you're well, like I mean, oh right it can be done in all these weird ways yeah I remember when she released Trouble Every Day which is the horror yeah. film yeah the, the full on biological of... vampire thing so, yep you can do that too she's okay. fascinating yeah, because yeah, there's not, like, the one thing that she does. Yeah. I often wonder how... Yeah, since the... Uh, this is me leaping topics, but I yeah. think it'll work. Yeah. Uh, since The Graduate was was considered almost European at the time, because uh, it was coming uh-huh. out of the French... Uh-huh. The, or rather, cinema was coming New out wave. of the French New Wave. Sure. And, and that supposedly influenced the American cinema that was happening. I've often wondered how... Like, infrequently that plot I'm surprised more people aren't remaking it or reworking it in the same way it's just like like the way we have remakes you exactly. mean like, or, like or just like, actually remake The Graduate yeah I'm surprised that Europe they didn't probably. try to redigest it and do it there because ah. you would think it's it's you could transpose it to Paris you could transpose it to Monte Carlo you could um, you know I, I'm not sure if this relates but so I've been living in America for 10 years mm-hmm. and there's something I find unique to to that country that at least Canada doesn't have and I, I don't think Europe has this in the same degree at all and it is this um, sort of desire for uh, cookie cutter sameness and status and by that a lot of that is pinned on where you went to school oh yeah and what your college education is says a, a lot about you one of the first questions you'll get asked by almost any American, really? at least in, in sort of my line of work, like as a TV writer and when you're out going on meetings, meeting people, it's where'd you go to school? Because the answer tells everyone, it's this big 
signifier of like, ah, you're that kind of person. You grew up in that kind of household with that much money and your parents are probably this way and you were set off on this course in life at a young age. Okay. And I think that the graduate is talking about that too. Yeah. yeah you know? Well, it absolutely is. And who your family is, who your, who your who family your is are. and what you're expected to be and do as a result of, of, you know, this place you were born in and, you know, Benji's supposed to be just like his parents. Probably went to the same school as them. You know, he probably just followed the path. Oh, yeah, he's a legacy. No he's question. a legacy. His entire life is a legacy. You know, the blazer he's wearing is probably his dad's blazer. <laughs> like, everything is, is being done. He's, he's doing it all correctly up until this point in his life. He's, he hits a crisis. And when you brought up Europe, I was like, I just wonder if they even know if, if that's the same idea. Yeah. England absolutely has England it. England has it. The, the, the Oxford-Cambridge Oxford thing. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And they, they have a major class system there that is oh God, so much of it. even worse. And yeah. And My American therapist lived in England and she's like, oh, it's terrible over there. <laughs> <laughs> they, they think it's all, you know, like they think that. They, they look down upon us Yankees. Anyway, yeah. we can well, cut that part out, too. No, no, it's no. fine. It's, it's totally valid. But, and, the, and the thing about England, too, is that the, uh, the same thing that has ingrained itself there for yeah. centuries, which is that if you're working class, you don't aspire to leave it. Mm-hmm. You're proud of it to, right. to a fault. That's creeping over to the States now, which is... Thomas the Tank Engine. I have a, a stepson. Anyway, my, my partner will talk about it. Like, he loved Thomas the Tank Engine. Okay. And... But, but his dad, my partner, doesn't really like Thomas the Tank Engine because he, he says it's all about the worker. It absolutely is. Knowing their place. Yep, yep. And that any time that train <laughs> starts to do things that the train's not, that is yeah. not within his class, he gets a, a, a talking down. Yeah, I remember a dressing down. I got so much angry mail, literal physical mail, because this is the late 80s. Yeah. But when I was writing for the Stars video magazine here, they gave me a Thomas Tank Engine tape to review. Yeah. And I just, in a hundred in a little hundred word yeah. capsule, I just pointed out that this is actually <laughs> not the best lesson for kids, because yeah. one of the episodes they gave me had uh, one of the trains, it wasn't Thomas, it was somebody else, didn't want to work, so they walled him up in a tunnel. Yeah. Until he learned his lesson. And I thought, don't do that. This is terrible. This is not for yeah. children. No. But yeah, now that you mention it, that is so precisely English. Yes. And I think that's what that whole series is about. Subtly telling them the notice. Yeah, and to take pride in the work you do, but don't aspire to other kinds of work. Right. Oh, that's disturbing. It is. And where and and where Benjamin is basically being groomed to be a captain of industry, although mm-hmm. we never do find mm-hmm. out what the industry is or where he will go. No, which is part of what's so kind of brilliant too, because yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Do <laughs> he have enough money that he never really has to work? Is he just going to invest in plastics and let it roll? Is that what we're seeing? Or is it simply that he is so disinterested, uninterested in that line, in whatever his future is, that we, we literally can't see it. It's not visible to us. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because it doesn't make sense but it does within the film that, that's the thing that i i'm so stunned by nichols accomplishment having made virginia wolf mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a realist grotesquerie mm-hmm. right i mean it's black and white but mm-hmm. it's in your face you're seeing things as they are mm-hmm. he made this gorgeous surrealist it is yeah thing that doesn't let you see beyond its frame like it yeah. will not it shows you the things that it wants to show you and nothing more now and each frame is kind of perfectly constructed mm-hmm. because that's yeah, his yeah. world that's benjamin's world right that's like his there are no world. poor people that's his world he has people for everything 
everything is there for him. When he goes to um, the strip club, it is grotesque, yeah. right? Because it's not his place. Yeah. He's ventured outside. And it's, you know, and he acts like a like a bore. Yeah. You know, he's He's just trying yeah. to give this poor woman the worst experience of her life. Yeah. Yeah. And then they run off together and she made it. No, that's their only them. date. That's why yeah. it, it's it's so dark, you know, and to brand it a romance or anything about this, you know, being like showing us what love is. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's the exact opposite, you know, yeah. but that's that's what I think is so relatable. I mean, to these, these, because despite the fact that it's, it, it's philosophical, the graduate too, and it's mm. about ideas. I think it's also, there's this relatable human thing, which is we're like looking for answers everywhere, but in ourselves mm. and, and hoping that, that something else saves us. I think I just realized that they've been remaking it all along. It's from the woman's perspective that that's ah. what the modern romantic comedy is. That it's right, like someone is she gonna who has her own life me? and falls for somebody weird and right. Yeah, that's yeah. We're they're all about Elaine. Yeah, but and we've taken it though, and we've said that all Elaine really wants is to find the right man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is the you know the that yeah it's it's oh, what am I trying to think of. It's all the it's it's he's a rebel and will never ever be any good. It's yeah. it's a yeah. it's a pop song. It's yeah. the illusion of the one guy whose rough edges are the just bad boy. Yeah, but they're only there because no one understands him like I do. Exactly, and he's gonna get me. It's Greece, you know. Yeah, it is. Like... She changes herself for him. Yeah, which is something that. Yeah, it sits less well every year, doesn't it? Like there are new generations of people seeing Greece and going, "Ooh, that one was never that one never jived with me." <laughs> also, I think something about I don't know, growing up like a sort of Jewish girl. There's that movie is is so white. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's so like this perfect Americana thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh. and I guess listen. There's a big argument that Jews are white. I'm, I, the jury's out that's on my a long, end. Yeah, that's a much longer <laughs> yeah. conversation, and I think we need to see where the Trump administration goes next year before yeah, we can my really... God. <laughs> Sorry. I can't leave anything in their hands. I yeah. know. I didn't even want to bring it up. But yeah, same same here. My like my family was trying to get me to watch Fiddler on the Roof, and I'm like, I can't... First of all, I can't relate to it. Secondly, it's three hours long. Yeah. Uh, the songs are fine, but come on. Um, I was 11 when Grease came out, yeah. so it was much more of my right. generational Right, in thing. that, yeah, and I'm sure but, every kid saw it, every kid loved it. Oh, yeah, but oof. Yeah, no. It's. I mean, you want to talk about 30-year-olds playing teenagers, that's yeah. a very disturbing film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, but I was, but as a result, I was... You know, I wasn't even born when The Graduate came out, right. and it seems to have endured considerably uh, mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. than than the the other Hollywood fantasies about adolescent rebellion. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many of them, not, and Greece isn't necessarily one, but it's the one that keeps coming back. Like it mm-hmm. never really goes away. It's it's um, it fell out of fashion a little bit when it was only available on VHS in that crappy version, but then right. once it got reissued and remastered and, and Nichols' star started to rise again mm-hmm. after that fallow period in mm-hmm. the 80s. He's, he's, it all seemed to... It clicked then and that was 25 years ago and it's never really been gone. Yeah. And you know, Criterion just put it out this year, finally. Oh, really? Ray. Yeah. Oh, with, great. And in fact, you, when you were saying that 
who can know what Nichols was thinking, you really you need can. to listen. Well, there's a commentary <laughs> track with him and Soderbergh that's great oh, cool. that was recorded in 2007 for, I think, the MGM Blu-ray yeah. for the, 50th, the 40th anniversary. Um, and it's just... it's It doesn't unpack the film necessarily, but it talks about creative choices and the direction right, right. in a really interesting way. But it is this thing that is impenetrable on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. fully understand why people do what they do. You can't fully understand anything beyond the movie. It's a time capsule of itself. Well, that's what I was to say, in that things also are emblematic of the time they're made in. Yeah. And I want to give the filmmaker as much credit as I can, but sometimes the filmmaker is just, they're making all these choices and they have the vision, but a film takes on a life of its own. And it becomes, it gets, we invest it with all of this other meaning not to say it was never there but whether mike nichols knew that in 50 years it would it would yeah <laughs> you know the the lifestyle he was showing us and that community and those kinds of people we would still be viewing it that way i mean probably not he probably didn't know that he, how could he no yeah well i mean even so, the characters probably didn't know no uh, about the about the future I, i'm trying to figure out how to process it now and it's like well they're Democrats in 67, but they'd be Republicans now. Yes. Like oh, that, yeah. that Those world are Republicans. has completely yeah. moved over. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that the characters know it. Like, I don't know they they know where they're going. They no. just, it's, you know, th- that's what I meant about not knowing what Benjamin does. He's just capitalism. Like, yep. That's just that yep. world. And I sound like the scruffy alt-weekly writer that I am, I suppose, by saying they're not like me, but... There's more of them in me than I would like to admit because they also want to be successful and comfortable and everybody wants that. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. not only what we've been taught to want by movies, among other things, but it's kind of what human beings want, you know, Mm -hmm. comfort and and not needing to worry about everything. And And, prosperity. Yeah. and... And the idea that everything will be taken care of for you is... Frightening and comforting in equal measure, mm-hmm. I think, because Benjamin, all he has to do is not resist and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. But then it's a body snatchers movie. Yeah. Right? It's not, right. it's not right. a romance. It's right. not a comedy. All of his choices are designed to make him an individual, which brings him nothing but pain, mm-hmm. which is why it's funny. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. And cynical. Mm-hmm. No, when you say Benji, it, it, he, it is capitalism. You don't need to know the industry. That made me think, well, yeah, and capitalism is America. Yeah. More now than America, ever, yeah. at the end of the day, it's all about the dollar. And now I'm now I'm looking at this movie as like from a, like a political bent. Oh my sure. god, it's really opening it up. <laughs> but the good ones have yeah. that, right? Like everything yes. is in there. Yes. It's all Everything's it's rich enough. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to the to the obvious, like the closing question uh, mm-hmm. of the podcast, which is, what if anything of the graduate have you? borrowed or lifted or quoted or just outright stolen into your own creative DNA. <laughs> I mean, we talked about paper year being inspired by it. Yeah. I think it's this feeling, uh, and, and realizing it as I'm talking with you for the past little bit, it's this feeling of giving your protagonist that outsider lens. Like they're trying to fit in. Maybe they're trying to put on the trappings of, of the fantasy of, of life as we think it should be lived mm-hmm. but your inner soul is is drowning yeah <laughs> and, yeah. and is that. is doesn't quite know how to 
fit in and abide by the rules. Yeah. Or that, I mean, what I got from Paper Year was the yeah. sense that the characters believe that the rules don't apply to them, that they are... At first. Yeah, yeah. as you yeah. as you always feel in every whenever you start a new relationship, yeah. this is great, this is special, no one else on earth has ever felt like this, that's the rush of love. Yeah. But one of the first scenes is... Um, is the characters defining themselves as, well, we just wanted to do this. This was yeah. important to us. And not consciously saying that we don't care about anybody else, but that's the message, that yeah. everyone else is, re- is receiving it in that way. Yeah. Uh, when my wife and I decided we, want a small, we wanted a small wedding, yeah. uh, we did the City Hall wedding, as a matter of fact. We've been oh, together yeah. for a couple of years, but it was not without considerable convulsion in my family because it was really just parents grandparents and a few friends and we yeah. you know what the room would hold and we didn't want to do a great big wedding and we had our reasons and yeah you know 14 years later i think we were correct but i mean it's a middle finger to literally everyone who isn't there whether you want it to be or not and it took us a while for us to realize that or it took a while for it to sink in yeah even though it's your marriage when <laughs> marriage is the kind of thing that everyone's got an opinion on yeah and everyone wants to weigh in on and especially people in your family and I, I think you're absolutely right. In the movie, they are trying to be rebellious. But I think, ironically, they're being rebellious by doing something, getting married, that is completely traditional. Yeah, it's the most rebellious thing you can <laughs> you do. You know? They're sort of trying to pursue some kind of... They would never say this, but some kind of traditional path of, like, boy and girl fall in love, boy and girl stay in love forever. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they aren't prepared for it. They're not geared that way. And I guess my feeling is that most of us aren't. Not to say that most of us shouldn't be married or that marriages can't work. It's just this idea of chasing yeah. The fiction. Yeah. Well, and they're and, they're young enough that yeah. they don't even know who they are. Exactly. So you can't. Exactly. I mean, that's the thrust of the film, that's obviously. That's the thrust but, of them, yeah. But also life. <laughs> yeah. I when I was twenty one, twenty two, I, I mean, I knew what I wanted, but I didn't know who I was. Yeah. And I don't think anybody really does, and if they do, they're in for a lot of disappointment. Which brings us back to the graduate. Yeah. I think Benjamin does know who he is, but no one else wants to hear it. And I don't even think he wants to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you exactly. know, like I, he's he's sort of a depressed person. Yeah, and there hadn't really been a lot of that in movies at 67 either, which is something no. else that struck me the last time I watched it. It's like, there's no... Like, no one's taking antidepressants. They're all drinking. No, they're all drinking. There's no sense of what's... that the ennui that the film is engaging with could be, if not treated or understood... Yeah, if not treated, then at least understood. Yeah. And they don't. They don't, they don't want to hear it because being sick or being unwell is a weakness. It's not done. I wish it was different now, but we... I think yeah, people still, still don't want to hear it. There's still a stigma. Yeah, and we there. still drink away our problems. Or we think we do. Yeah, now we have craft beer. No, so, yes, yeah, everything. There's, you know, there's and a whole then, industry for that. And like all these weird, like I'm a mom now, so I notice it, but so much advertising and branding for moms to drink wine. Yeah. Have you see yeah, that? Yeah. There's like, I saw this, I was camping with my family and in the camp store, like little on the campground, there was an oven mitt with like a 50s housewife on it and it said like wine is my favorite salad <laughs> it's like I mean, what it's, is this it's so it's just such a strange you know and like mommy time is wine time and like yeah. it's just this 
well, the book club joke now, right? Like that the that women in their forties have book clubs where they just an excuse to drink. Go get I've drunk. Seen it turn, yeah. I've seen it turn up in at least three movies this year already. Um, and there's a movie called Book Club, yeah. which is not I haven't seen that, but I'm assuming that's part of it. I'm sure they're drinking wine in that movie. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. It's a it's a new branding locked into self medication as uh, the solution. Mm-hmm. But which they're also doing in in Paper Year. Yeah. But again, they don't. They don't know. They don't it. know it. They're not no. aware of it. No, the yeah. movie does. Something that I really admire mm-hmm. in films is that they will show us a character, and I think we just talked about this last week in the Suki and Lee episode about Ali Furious the Soul. They will show you a character making a bad decision and mm-hmm. allow that to happen while still letting the viewer understand that the film doesn't endorse or approve. That hmm. you can watch hmm. without. You know, the, the music will tell you, the camera angles mm-hmm, will tell you. Mm-hmm. There are things that happen in paper year which are absolutely wrong, mm-hmm. but they have to happen. Mm-hmm. And we have to endure it with the character mm-hmm. to get to the other side. Mm-hmm. But it's it's something that doesn't quite happen in The Graduate because everyone is wrong. There's no moral judgment, but then it snaps back to a, a base morality where the young couple gets away, maybe. Well, and... and- to compare it, I mean, Benji, like you said, he's the one that ends it with Mrs. Robinson. He's the one that get kind of manages to pull himself out before things get really bad. Right. In Paper Year, Eve's character, Franny, she makes a bad decision. And we do live with her mm-hmm. as, as she lives through it. But it, it happens to her. You know, like she yeah. has to feel and suffer the consequences of the bad decision. And it's, I think, unpleasant, <laughs> you yeah. know. Oh, no, absolutely. And because, because those moments are unpleasant. Yeah. But Benji somehow, yeah, Mrs. Robinson, a, a movie from her perspective, would be fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> I want it's 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 the other thing that surprises me about The Graduate is that John Cassavetes is across town making faces. Yeah. That. You know, he is yeah. he is putting yeah. Jenna Rollins through that same stuff. She's going through it. Yeah. And we're in it with her. We're living with that we're living with that side of it. And it is such a different Yeah. In a way he made him that's a much more honest Yeah. Well it's not stylized, right? It doesn't give it's us not... that, that exit. But the pain just comes through unfiltered that yeah. way. The graduate at least, you know, you get you get some mellow Simon and Garfunkel to, exactly. to ease you through it. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of takes you out of the scene just before it gets too miserable for anyone. Mm-hmm. But then you're stranded with them on the bus. You're stranded. You got out. Or did you? Or did you? Well, more and more. I, I mean, the, the ending always landed on me where I go, oh, maybe they're not that happy. But now I'm like, well, they were never happy. <laughs> <laughs> These are two depressed people. Yeah. She grew up, Elaine grew up in that house with those parents. Mm-hmm. With two drunk parents, yeah. basically two alcoholics who don't like each other. <laughs> you really have to break it down. What is that like? Yeah. But the movie isn't getting into that stuff. The movie isn't, it is stylized, like you say. There's a refinement and a kind of distancing lens that makes it art and not as much just, bam, here are like humans in front of you. Yeah. That'd be the European version. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what Cassavetes was getting closer to. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. There's got to be a happy ending for somebody. <laughs> you know just getting to know yourself I mean when we were talking about when you were tw- when you were 22 you yeah. maybe knew what you wanted but you didn't know yourself 
I, which is absolutely correct for me as well, I, I now think I might know what I want, but I'm never sure that I'm right. That's actually like, a pretty good place to be, though, isn't it? Because I think as soon as I start to be sure that I'm doing something correctly, that I'm really, you know, the way I was sure I had to get married, you know, these these ideas of like I've got it all figured out, I'm good. I think that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Yeah, no, that's no, that's nowhere to be. That's and, nowhere to be. Yeah, I'm I'm trying really hard to be content. Yeah, and the fact that I'm good. trying is probably the good thing. That's all you got to do. Yeah, hmm. you'll wind up being content some of the time. My thanks to Rebecca Adelman, whose debut feature Paper Year is now playing theatrically in Toronto, Ottawa, and Vancouver, and available for rental and sale on iTunes and Google Play everywhere in Canada. It'll be out in the U.S. later this summer. You can keep an eye on its release pattern on Twitter at Paper Year Movie, all one word, and you can find The Graduate on Blu-ray and DVD in that excellent Criterion edition I mentioned. It's also available on iTunes and streaming on Filmstruck in the U.S. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, it would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.